this the dagger? Illegal substitution, too many men on the field, Saskatchewan. Gizmo has a block and the sideline. He has not stepped out, he may go all the way. He needs one block and he'll do it easily. Promise mess I wouldn't do this. McDavid stops up, what a move, shoots, scores! And welcome. Yes, it is episode number 90 of the Outsiders, powered by the Macintosh Group at Remax River City. My name is Bryn Griffiths. He's Robin Brownlee. And joining us from TSN 1260 in Edmonton is the afternoon drive host, Jason Greger. Jay, how you doing? Excellent, fellas. You? We're doing fine. Wow, what a what a crazy week it's been. Let's just jump right in on the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, I don't even know where to start here, but it's everyone wants to talk and use the expressions... It's a tire fire. It's a dumpster fire. But there's clearly something wrong, and I think it's more than just the players, more than just the coaching, and more than just the GMing. It just seems like there's a there's something, there's an element we're missing. That's just my take on it, because I didn't like the way they played against Ottawa. Well, Ottawa showed me that they had were having some fun and, and had a little bit of energy. But, Jason, we'll start with you first. Is it as simple as one of those things, or do you think it's a big collective problem here? Well, for 40 minutes, Ottawa did nothing. You know, they'd had 13 shots and Edmonton was playing how they wanted. And then at Edmonton, Edmonton to me's biggest challenge is that they can melt down and they've done it. Even in the early part of the season when they were winning games, they would still gift goals too easily. And I think that's been a, a constant. If you look at constants, that's been a constant for them. Um, goals against has been an issue at five on five for for a while um it got slightly better last season but still not good enough to, to be a legit contending team you got to be five on five you got to be around 1.9 goals against per game and you know the orders this year at around like um 2.3 which is it's just way too high so um you know goaltending goaltending is the obvious thing to look at if you don't have consistent goaltending for any team you're not going to win um so whether it's, you know, whether it's Smith, whether it's Koskin, you know, Stuart Skinner probably needed to make a save, at least one maybe in the in the third period that would help them. Um, but right now it's a collective team effort. Your, your superstars aren't being super. Your, your, you know, your team defense isn't good enough. I, I think their, their commitment to winning as a group isn't high enough. I, I don't see enough desperation and simple things. Like I don't think they, they don't have enough guys committed to blocking shots at key times in the game. So like they had one game where they had three block shots in the NHL. How's, yeah. how's that possible? So um, it, it's not as like, it's easy to say fire the head coach. Um, but it's never just fire the head coach, right? Like we saw Philadelphia, there's been no change when they went an interim coach. So that option doesn't make sense to me. If you're going to relieve Dave Tippett, then you're probably going to relieve Jim Playfair with him and maybe even Glenn Gullitson. And then who are you going to bring in that's like, unless the guy comes in and is bringing a goalie with him until they get the goaltending solved, that's number one. But I do think that, you know, the coaching and the players, like it's not the coach's fault that Mike Smith's injured, but it's his problem. And so you got to fix it. That's your job as a coach. And they, they haven't done enough to get consistency. Maybe it's like, we just got to play a much more defensive system until we get our starting goalie back. They haven't done that. So there, there's lots of, uh, 
people to blame, but I don't think there's just one. I think it's collective from management to coaches to players. Um, I, I think Edmonton's good enough to be a playoff team. They're lucky they're in the Pacific and Calgary's going backwards and Anaheim's coming back down to earth and LA's playing really well, but Edmonton's not out of it just yet, but they got to sort it out themselves and, and looking for one trade or firing the coach. I don't think that's, you can do that and it might happen, but I don't think there's one move that solves all the problems. Well, you know, Brent, I, I agree with a lot of what Gregor just said. Uh, one of the problems that adds to the pile of problems is it's not just one thing. You can't circle this on the page and go, there it is right there. Goaltending is the most common theme, probably. But there's there's problem with support in the second half of the forward group. Uh, this team was not good enough to lose that many defensemen for the time they lost those defensemen. Uh, firing Dave Tippett is not the answer either, but it's funny how things gain momentum and people start talking. And I'll tell you what, I wasn't a aware of it uh, years ago. And it's been a long time when I was on the beat because there wasn't so much social media noise but now being at arm's length and listening to fans on twitter and, and oilers nation and so on and so forth there's so much noise out there and part of the noise that i think does get inside the room because it's a real possibility is evander kane yes or no i mean robert did you go to sleep maybe lost power at his house <laughs> You know, that wouldn't shock me. It never dawned on me that there might be a, a freaking issue today with power lines. Ladies and gentlemen, we are experiencing technical difficulties. Please stand by. Are you with us? What's go What happened I, there? I'm with you. I think they're, I think they're trying to silence me somehow. Do you have a little power failure? I know we're getting a bit of an ice storm in the Edmonton area today. So, uh, hey, we got you back. It's via yeah. your phone, though, now. But anyway, you were you were just kind of, uh, you were talking about the Oilers and uh, where you thought they were at. You want to pick up on well, that? Well, absolutely. And I, I don't know where, exactly where we lost me, but, you know, I was on on about Evander Kane. I mean, I think that's a hot topic and I'm, I mean, I've got my thoughts on whether it's a good or bad idea. And I think, you know, where I'm coming from, but I'm, I, I think all the little problems and the inconsistency and the frustration of uh, this latest stretch of a dozen games leads us to Evander Kane. Like why any team, uh, having any success and feeling good about itself would even consider a Vander Kane. I don't know, which tells me the Oilers can't be feeling that good about themselves, but man, I think they're looking in the wrong place. If they consider this an answer, that's just my take. Well, Jason, what's your thoughts on that? Because I thought it was a really rough week from a public relations standpoint for the Oilers. I didn't like the Kenny Holland press conference. It just seemed like the, the, there was no cohesion to it. And then Connor McDavid, a couple of days later, just I, I, I don't really know how to describe it. It just it seemed like nobody was prepped going into that to talk about the Evander Kane situation. And the problem with Evander Kane is that there, it's, it's like an onion. There's a lot of layers to it. But your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, th I think, well, for me, my big concern about Kane is I've never seen 
Um, and who knows, maybe behind the scenes he's done it. My sources tell me there hasn't been any, um, you know, he, he, to me, looks like a troubled person. He's got, you know what, he obviously has a gambling addiction. Uh, you know, maybe he's going to get hell for that, but you know, he's, he's made some bad decisions in his life. I think is to put it politely. Um, there, there's also some stuff where, like, for, for him to get sole custody of his child re- reflects that, you know, and that's almost unheard of for a guy to get that. So, um, you know, the, 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 the comments, you know, him and his, his estranged wife, you know, he was the one who had first, um, you know, charged her with abuse and got a restraining order. Then she came out with the abuse and the alleged gambling. They looked into it. They found nothing. You know, he gets custody yeah. of his kid. But he has a track record of being, you know, making some bad decisions. So, like, I look at the, the NHL has their substance abuse program but it's also behavioral and you know I I think he could benefit from talking to someone I'm not a therapist but I've talked you know I know lots of people I went and talked to one many years ago I just needed someone to talk to and it makes a big difference and if, if any team was looking at signing him part of the equation for me would be like okay Vander let's find out why you've been going down this path with these wrong decisions and you know why do you think it's okay to to you know falsify a a vaccine card. Why do you think it's okay to to not follow with a with a simple thing like a dress code? So we got to get to the root of that because on the ice he's a good player. No one debates that. Yeah, yeah. it's Evander Kane the person, and I think it's it's a debate where the pro sports teams should they care about their employees enough to say, hey, here's somebody they think can benefit. So to me, I said the only way I would have condoned signing Evander Kane is saying, hey. We'll sign you, but there's got to be some action on your part that says you're looking to get help. So, you know what, part of the contract comes with, you know, you're going to see a therapist or whatever. I don't know if it's that cut and dry, but that's something where, to me, I think should have been part of the of the conversation. Now, they haven't signed him yet, so maybe that is going to be part of it. And I get that that's a very personal thing, but lots of players, you know, Zach Cassian's a prime example. Zach Cassian went and got help. There's no one here has any issues with Zach Cassian since, right? Like, you know, people complain about his play on the ice. That's fine. That, you know, that's that's what you do about players. But, you know, Zach Cassian's, I think, is in a much better place as a human being. And I think that should be something that, that teams look for when it comes to Evander Kane. Well, I completely agree. I mean, look no further. I mean, Cassian is a good example. But, you know, let's let's go back to, to Craig McTavish. I mean, that was a serious uh change of direction in his life. I mean, this was somebody died and a year in jail and we know what happened there. That was a, 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 a terrible decision on his part. He served his, his time in jail and he moved on from that. Um, Kane is different. There's no criminal act to that extent that we're aware of, but it just seems to be, one issue after another, after another in different areas. It's like if there's trouble anywhere uh, to this point in his life, he's been the guy to find it. And he's 30 years old now. And he's, he's not a kid who uh, is trying to feel his way into the national hockey league. Well, I've always hated the comparable when Mac T's name keeps coming up because he had no track record before it made one horrible, horrible error. And then, did everything he possibly could to make up for it after and was exemplary in how he handled it. So I don't know why that one keeps coming up every time somebody wants to do a comparable when they talk about, you're right, you know what, you, Jason, you're absolutely right. The Zach Cassian one's probably as good a comparable as you can find. And he's been uh, he's been a really good citizen from what we've been told. We don't see him in uh, any problems or any, he's got a good support group. But let's also talk about the fact that Coming into Edmonton, you're not exactly going to be able to hide. 
So I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. How do you view it, Jason? Well, you it's not going to make it worse. You can't go anywhere. What are we talking about? It's in COVID. I haven't been out in months. So um, yes, I, I don't. I, I don't know. If you want to find trouble, you'll find trouble at the end of the day. I, I don't care. Hey, man, I grew up in small town, New Sarepta. You want to find trouble, you can still find yeah. it in New Sarepta. There might only be one bar, but you'll find it. So to, to me, it comes down to the, the person themselves has to be willing to want to make a change. And I yeah. haven't seen a lot of... Um, actions from Kane that suggest that now people can change some people need to be hit over the head 10 15 times before they finally decide hey i need to make some changes in, in my life right and and you need a really good support system and um you know I, I don't know if he has that or if he's willing to get it or not you know i think dan milstein his agent i talked to two other nhl agents and they said they would have they would have been pushing him strongly to enter the uh, substance abuse and behavioral program of the nhl to the point that maybe he would have fired them as an agent because you, you your job as an agent they say is to look out for the person first and we got to remember he's a person who's made some bad decisions but he's also a father now so he's you know he's got someone that he's responsible for and um you know hey i like I said, maybe he has my my sources tell me that there hasn't been anything along that lines as of yet. Um, you know, we'll see that maybe he's suspended uh, from the National Hockey League, so that will give him time to go do it if, if need be. But um, the old adage is, um, we, you can blame an organization and they say, hey, they're not going to take him. But the truth is, and it's business. Evander Kane on the ice would really help their team. There's no debating that. Oh, yeah. So if the organization can help him as a person, then maybe it's a win-win. And Bryn, just let me say, I bring up Mac T because it's not a good comparison. What I know, I'm but speaking, it keeps coming up all the time, Robin. Well, and it, I don't think it, it should. Need, it, it needs to come up, Bryn, because what I get tired of hearing is this. Craig McTavish was a second chance. That was a case where as a second chance, Evander Kane is not a second chance. You read his rap sheet. And again, while there's nothing as serious as Mac T on it, people saying this is a second chance, it's bullshit, Bryn. They're just kidding themselves. Just come out and say, look, we think he can help us on the ice, and we're so damn eager to win, we're willing to look the other way or discount all the things he's done or downplay it. Do that. At least it's an, at least it's based in honesty. Stop calling it a second chance. It's not a second chance. It's a seventh, eighth, or ninth chance. Okay. Did we wrap that one up enough for now? Because sure. I'm guessing it's probably going to be lasting another week or two. So uh, let's uh, let's talk about the team to the south, the Calgary Flames, where the bloom is clearly off of the Sutter Rose. They uh, they rode a lot of their third and fourth line guys for quite a bit, and uh, they were getting some production from the guys that they should get production from. But it's tough to play, Jason. It's tough to play Sutter hockey. Eighty-two games of the year, they just look like they've run out of gas. Well, they went on that East Coast swing into Death Valley. You go into Tampa and Florida and yeah. Carolina, and you're getting crushed. And you know they're not going to be the only team that does that. Um, Calgary, I, I think, is a team that, like Edmonton, is obviously going through a funk right now. 
Um, I, I think they have just as good a chance as Edmonton of, of getting out of it because you don't have to play great to make the playoffs in the Pacific Division, right? L.A. was in a funk. Now L.A.'s red hot. Calgary and Edmonton are deep in the ditch right now, and, and they can turn it around. Uh, you know, Calgary, they, they need more from Sean Monaghan. They need more from not so much their bottom end guys. They need more so from their, their top six, excluding Goudreau. Goudreau has produced pretty, pretty well so far this season for them. Um, I, I don't know if I say you get fatigued. Like the L.A. Kings played Daryl Sutter hockey for, for many years, and they won two Stanley Cups. So, you know, asking guys to, to play discipline and work hard isn't shouldn't like that should be the the minimum requirement uh, of, of hard work in the nhl i just think calgary's in a little bit of a funk like yeah. unless you're a great team you're likely going to go through a funk stage at, at the at the course of the season like you know tampa and florida and maybe colorado even colorado but that was because they had their best players all injured the, the really good teams don't go away. you know edmonton and calgary are showing that they're not great teams they're just middle of the road teams and sometimes you get some bad breaks and that's going to lead to what the orders have two wins and 14 and Calgary's got three and 11. So uh, I kind of see Calgary. They're a different style of, of team and how they play, but they, when they were playing how they wanted, they were winning. And I think they've gotten away from that and now they're struggling, but I, I see Calgary and Edmonton and, uh, you know, throw the sharks even in, uh, you know, they're getting, they're getting everything from a lot of guys right now. I'm not sure how talented they are, but uh, they work really hard. And, you know, if, if they're getting decent goaltending for the first time in four years, so they're competitive. Uh, I, I think, you know, Anaheim will be there I, outside of Vegas. I think you can flip a coin on who's going to finish second and third in the Pacific. Robin. Yeah, yeah, Jason, I was a little bit surprised, and, uh, and maybe I don't know how much you've looked at them. I was a little bit surprised by Anaheim, uh, how good they've been. I mean, there's that. I mean, it's it's a few years removed now, but the the Dallas Aikens connection there has Anaheim surprised you with how good they've been to this point. Um, not, not really, but I, I misjudged him because I overlooked the fact that like they were without Manson and Lindholm for much of last season. So you take out mm -hmm. two of your top four defensemen. I don't care what team you are. You know, it's rare that you're going to be able to overcome that. And, yeah. uh, and that's what Anaheim had last season. You know, John Gibson had a little bit of a down year by his standards. He's back. He's a great goaltender. They got good, good they got good, uh, depth on defense. Uh, I, I think Anaheim was overachieving early and now they're coming back to the pack where I think they're going to be in the hunt uh, in the Pacific because they're lucky. The Pacific's not the Atlantic. It's not the Metro. It's not even the Central. So you you have an opportunity where, you know what, you just, if you can be a 92, 93, 94 point team, I think you're going to get in. And that's that's where the Ducks are at. I think the Ducks are in it. They've got some skilled young guys. And, you know, Dallas Akins, like any, Dallas Akins was a young coach and he made some mistakes as a young coach. And Dallas has talked about that. Um, yeah. He's learned from it. Uh, you know, he came in, he, they, they improved their special teams immensely. Their special teams was terrible last year. And, and Dallas, to his credit, brought in new coaches and said, I'm not doing anything. You guys do it because I don't want to be involved because obviously, uh, you know, and, and and that takes, a, I think, a lot when you're the head coach to just let other people coach. That's some part about maturing and learning is to say, hey, I don't need to have it be involved in everything. I hire good people. I trust them. And uh, and it's working so far in Anaheim. So they they I didn't pick them to be a playoff team, but I probably misjudged them by overlooking the injuries on defense. And, you know, their, their, their power play, and I wrote at the start of the year, their power play would be better because it was the worst ever ever mm -hmm. in the NHL and they've been better. I guess if there's a positive, all the cancellations. So, Oh, sorry. I made the mistake. The postponements. There's a big difference between canceling and mm -hmm. postponing, but all the postponements we've had up here in Canada in particular, 
I've had a chance to watch Florida and Tampa play more in the last three weeks than I think I've watched in the last three years. And the thing that's pretty obvious to me is both of those two clubs, one of those two teams isn't going to make it out of there, but man, they've been fun to watch. Who wants to jump in on that one first? Florida and Tampa, you know what you're getting. We've seen it plenty in the last couple of years, but Florida really look like they're on fire. They're coming into Edmonton this week. That's got disaster written all over it for the Edmonton Oilers, but we don't know which Oiler team's going to show up. But, but Jason, your thoughts on what you've seen from Florida and the Panthers and the way they're playing starts with the goal out. Well, hey, Florida's a really good team, man. Really good team. And um, they actually have quite a bit of cap space right now. They're the one team that, like, they could go out and acquire John Klingberg. Like, they got good defense. But you had John Klingberg from Dallas into Florida. Oh, my goodness. Like, and d- don't, you can't even overlook Boston, who's who, once they split up their top line and put Pasternak with Hall, they're on fire. Yep. They got Tuka Rass coming back. You know, that division's going to be tough, man. Uh, Toronto's in there, Florida, uh, Tampa. But yeah, Florida just walked all over Dallas and Columbus for fun this past weekend. And uh, the the orders, who knows, may, maybe the fear factor of getting embarrassed might be what uh, w- wakes them up because uh, the way Edmonton's playing, Florida's going to crush them. Florida's very deep. They've Huberto and Barkoff are now on separate lines. You know, Jonathan Huberto might be the best left winger in the NHL. He is really good. And Barkoff's an elite uh, two-way centerman. You know, Uyghur's probably a player a lot of people don't pay attention to. Him and Ekblad give you legit top guys on the blue line they're a fun team to watch a really fun team to watch and what i like about them is they got a mix of high skill and then they've got some guys you know sam bennett can play like a dick on the ice yeah and and i mean that in a good way they're they're big and physical and skilled and and honestly i'm gonna be very i'm very curious to see what they do at the deadline because i think florida looks and says hey we're entering our window now, and we take a shot. And if you can get John Klingberg out of Dallas, mm. and they potentially could re-sign him even if they found a way to trade Hornquist. So it'll be uh, it'll be fun to watch. Robin? Well, you know, it, it's interesting. It's it's You watch the Florida Panthers long enough. I mean, I remember going, going down there way before the rats were hitting the ice, and you're waiting for, you know, Roberto Luongo down there, and you keep thinking, oh, this club's got a piece here, a piece there. Not often they've managed to put it together. There's been times. But you look at this club now. A guy like Huberto comes in with some fanfare, then seems to kind of disappear for a little while. Right back on top of his game now, Barkoff's an unbelievable uh, player. There's more balance there. Monahan goes and plays. Monahan's every bit as good as people hoped he could be. Uh, when he came into the league and you don't changing places doesn't always bring that out in you. So they're real good. The problem, the only problem for the Panthers is, you know, there's another pretty good team uh, in the state. Uh, I mean, the bulls are just perennially good and they've got, I mean, the one player for me, and there's been a lot of guys, even if you go back to the days of uh, Le Cavalier and Martin Saint-Louis, um, I mean, that's a long time ago now. But, um, uh, you know, they've this Braden Point, uh, to me, he, he's a hell of a they got They got a bunch of guys that you look at and go, that's a hell of a player right there. And they play well together. I mean, they're still a powerhouse. That Florida situation reminds me of Alberta in the 80s where you had the Flames and the Oilers. And I think that both teams fed off of each other and made themselves better because the competition level was higher. But it, it's been it's been fun to watch. Okay, because we got a lot to get to here, and we lost some time because of the power failure. But let's uh, let's talk about the Edmonton Elks. 
talk a little football. Obviously, the football side is coming together nicely, but now we're hearing that a presidential announcement is coming down very, very soon. Do you, Jason, do you like the direction that they're going here? Is See, I have no trouble with the Chris Jones thing because he wins. So if he can keep himself on the football side and keep billing that, uh, okay, sure. But uh, as for putting fans in the seats, the presidential announcement, that's going to be a big one. Well, it's it's a, probably a tougher job, to be honest, because you, you can go scout and, and you can get players. And if you're confident in that, that's what you can control. Um, as a... You know, the president of the Elks, there's a lot, the Elks to me in a lot of ways are are stuck in the 90s and the 2000s in a lot of their decision-making stuff. And I'll I'll be curious, you know, Paul Graham, you know, would would come from TSN potentially, or, uh, you know, Sean Fleming has uh, has a lot of uh, credibility as a player and and, in the business community in Edmonton. you know, uh, the other guy, Victor, uh, uh, do I say his name right? Victor, is it C, Sue? It's Victor Quee. Quee, okay, Victor Quee. Um, I don't know as much about him, to be honest, uh, Bryn, but whoever takes over the job has has a, has a real big challenge because where the CFL has, you know, they've relied on their same um, audience for a long time. That's a dedicated audience. So you have to find a way to keep them engaged, but then bring in things. Like I have some ideas that that I've talked about for years that I would have done uh, with the CFL. They haven't done. Like I go to, you go to Green Bay and I like to compare Green Bay because it's a small market NFL team. When you go to Green Bay on, on game day, you have every radio station in town is outside the building. The, the, the Elks don't do that because they're, they're host broadcasts like, oh, oh, we're the rights holder. Who cares if you're the rights holder? That, you're the rights holder of the game. To, and if you're the rights holder, you should be a partner who should say, okay, having all of the other radio stations in town here actually will help us because when the game's on, then they can only listen to one. Right. Yeah. And like, it's a simple thing where, you know, I know uh, Marty Forbes at the bear for a long time, bear listeners or, you know, they might not be football fans, diehards, but they're like, I like to have a party. I like to have fun. Oh, let's have a section. Oh no, we couldn't do that. God forbid. So, you know, the the Elks have so many issues off of the field Mm. that, uh, that they need to sort out and find out who their real partners are. And and they're going to have to change a lot because they were, when I started covering, when I came in, you know, 20 years ago, the, the, the Elks were without question the cream of the crop in the CFL. Yeah. Right now, they might be number nine. Well, maybe eight behind Toronto um, and have Toronto ninth because they don't draw any fans. But Ottawa is in a better situation because of their ownership group than they are right now. Um, Saskatchewan, uh, you look at uh, in BC and Calgary, they're, they're more appealing right now than Edmonton. Edmonton has a long way to go to repair what they've done as an organization and Whoever takes over that job, like that's a massive challenge and they have to have somebody who understands the community. Um, And I I think the board, the board should be scrutinized much. They have made some horrific decisions in Edmonton for many years Yeah, and, and have come away. Oh, oh well, right. Like, oh, well, well, oh, well, it's not good enough. And uh, like, I'm at the point where would to ask the question, would private ownership be better for the club moving forward? Hmm. Wow. Hey, by the way, because Victor Quee's name has come up, he's got a MMA background, so obviously he knows the demographic he wants to go after in terms of uh, mixed martial arts. Well, the one mm-hmm. thing we've been talking about here for the longest time is uh, is that the Elks have got to do a much better job of attracting a much younger and a little more diverse audience. So 
he might be a really great fit. We know what Sean Fleming's all about, and uh, Sean would get a thumbs up from me as well. And uh, Paul Graham, who who's like the number two guy at TSN, has got a really good idea of what you know what what people are watching and what they're interested in. Got a great. All three of them have got great community connections in Edmonton, so they're not going to go wrong with any of the three guys that they select. So, uh, so that'll be fun. But Robin, you and I've talked a little bit about how important it is. And Jason just touched on it. They've got to do a much better job of getting out to all these radio stations, because if you're only listening to two or three that are talking about your game coming up tonight and the other 13 aren't even mentioning you, you got a problem, Robin. Well, yeah. And Gregor touched on it and we've talked about it. Um, it doesn't matter how things were when we were 17 and used to go to the game. You need to read the room now. You need to understand your demographic now and your audience now and sell to them, appeal to them. You know, you don't, I mean, I'm making a bit of a joke here because the way it was brought up about, well, our audiences are, is a bunch of old white guys. Well, you don't really want to, you don't want to want to insult the old white guys. You want to keep them if you can, but you want to add to them with the uh, young people of every color, uh, the diversity that we're talking about. If you don't grow a sooner or later, you die. And, They've got to bring in people, not eliminate people. So if that means doing something kind of, that would have seemed kind of funky 20 years ago and this kind of ad campaign or that kind of ad campaign, you've got to go for it because what sells now, you can't just drag stuff out of the, the closet from 20 years ago and say, well, this worked then, let's keep doing it. Figure out what needs to be done. Who are you trying to attract and go after it? Because there's a whole group of people out there that if they get to the game and watch the game, they're going to enjoy the game. Well, there were two matchups at Commonwealth Stadium this year, 45,000 for both games to watch soccer in Edmonton in November in brutally cold weather and the diversity and the youthfulness and the excitement and the energy in the crowd. And you're wondering how can they find a way the football team to kind of take some of that. I know that it helps when you've got a player who is pretty sensational uh, playing for the Canadian men's national soccer team, the homegrown kid. But how do Jason, how do the Eskimos view what happened there with those two games? How do they find a way to tap into some of that? How do you think that they can find a way to bring some of that in for their games? Or do you think there's even a comparable there at all? I don't really see it comparable. You're, you're talking national pride in something that uh, you, you have a lot of people that are, di- you know, lots of immigrants have come to Canada and they're huge soccer fans, right? Huge yeah. soccer fans. And the, uh, you know, the, we, we had many years ago, the women's had 47,000 uh, uh, fans here. So it's not a surprise. That's happened for a long time. Um, but it's a completely different sport. It's a one-off, you know, um, Look at the, the, the look at the uh, the Eddies. How do they draw all the time in Edmonton, right? So I, I think it's it's an unfair comparison to suggest that a national team game, which happens maybe when will that happen again? I have no idea, right? So you you, mm-hmm. you know they wanted to have a, a real good show, and I don't think that's a fair comparison to what the CFL team is going to do moving forward. But that's the kind but, of crowd you want to go for. Well, it's the type of crowd you want, but at the same time, but that crowd's they're, they're passionate about soccer. 
right? Because they, you know, they play it. Um, you know, you, you've got to go out to the football communities and get football people who want to come, but you, you've got to make your games more of an event and, and not, um, but just make it more fan friendly. You've got to have cheaper tickets. You got to get people in the building. Number one, yeah. that's the first thing, right? And getting them in the building because you have, you know, a, a country band at halftime or a, or an R and B band at halftime, maybe that brings in a few people, but I, I don't really think at the end of the day, it brings in much. And the other thing is winning. Obviously, if you oh, yeah. win, people come to winners. That's just a fact, right? Um, many years ago, would the Canadian men's team have drawn any fans? Probably not because they weren't very competitive. Now they're competitive. So winning obviously helps. And that's where, you know, Chris Jones and the president have to, to tie in where if, if he can make the team more competitive, well, that will help. And that's going to be a big challenge. Who's going to be the quarterback? So, uh, you know, we can go to that. But whoever is the team president, let's make it clear. There's not one person that's going to solve everything. They got to have a much better team across the board. And, and I, there's some people in that Elks organization that I don't understand are still there. Why are they there? I don't, I, one person's going to come in and if he doesn't hire the proper people underneath him, it's irrelevant. It's going to be the same old, same old. So to me, there's significant change on the business side that will involve not just a the president. There's got to be many other changes that go to lots of different levels. Also, we've talked plenty about Dwayne Mandrusiak's uh, situation and how he was dealt with. They got to fix those little things to move forward, do they not? Oh, hundred percent. Hey, you know what? You could always make up for a mistake, right? Yeah. The, the, you know what? Uh, the, the new guy has nothing to do with what what happened in the past, but uh, you know the board did, right? Tough mm-hmm. decision. Somebody could have stood up and said, "Hey, wait a sec, guys. This isn't this isn't going to look good. We're a publicly owned team." Right. Um, hey, you know what? There's there's ways to have allowed Dwayne to stay around if you wanted 50 years, if it, if it mattered that much to 50 years. Or, you know what, if if, if he would have left at 49 years, but in, in a much better fashion. Now, I get that it was COVID and you were gone from from everything. Well, and lots of people were getting laid off. Right. So, you know, you, you could have looked at it that way. And I understand that side of it. You, you can't ignore that. That's a fact. But there, there are ways to, I would at least um, look like you're trying to mend that fence and do it properly. Bryn, I, I got to ask Gregor this because he, I think he's far more up on it than I am. The board has come up a few times and it's come up a few times uh, in conversations I had uh, with different people. Uh, Eddie Steele, uh, go, you know, you can go through a few names. Um, if there's issues there, and you want to hold them accountable, is there a process in place that decides, hey, we need to talk about this or we need to talk about that, or is it a simple matter of you're in or you're out? How does it work, Gregor? Well, you know, you serve your term, right? Ian Murray's in the last year of his term, right? And, and he can't come back. That's just how the guidelines are. So, okay. um, you know, they'll, they'll bring in new ones. I'm, you know, I, I think there's probably a good chance that Tom Richard might be the new chair. Uh, of the board. I, I think it's probably trending in that direction and, and that's fine. But, you know, you, you talk about Bryn having diversity in different age group. How many people on the board now, you don't have to have everybody. I think there's, you can be smart and, and, and understand what 30 year olds want when you're 50. You don't have to be 30 to understand what 30 year olds are, but yep. having someone on the board who's maybe closer to that generation could help. They have a few, but I, uh, um, I just, I, I don't, but like the board, how much football experience do they have? True football experience. Mm. Right now, now you got Tom Richards, but for years you didn't have much. So, and when the board kept out of things, 
there wasn't an issue. But the last few years, the board has been more involved than it ever has been before. And I think that's a problem. So, yeah. you know what? Maybe if they go back to the days where the board wasn't as involved, maybe that helps because you're getting people who don't really understand football to the level that they were making decisions on. Right. And there, there came, there, there was a lot of, um, powers, struggles of, of, you know, siding with one side or the other. And that to me shouldn't happen as a board says, Hey, wait a sec. We're a unified team here. We can have discussions and we can have disagreements, but we can't be picking sides. And so I, I think there's like anything, when things are going wrong, there's never just one, Oh, get a new head coach. Oh, get a new president. That'll solve everything. I think it's, you know, it starts back about the orders problems. When you have multiple issues, then you have you need a lot of people who are willing to want to change them and improve it. And I, I don't think there'll be an easy snap your fingers. The new president's going to come in with 10 new ideas and suddenly the crowds are going to be back yep. and everything's going to be great. Like that's this is going to be a long process and the need people are willing to be open to change and say, hey, what we've done was wrong. We have to look at improving it moving forward. Well, looking forward to the announcement. If it's this week, sounds like it could be or next week, but uh, get it done and start moving in a positive direction. Okay, we don't have a ton of time with you. We lost some of it because of the power outage. And I know you got to get down to Oilerland here this morning. We got to talk a little bit about you. And uh, how many years now for you? Uh, well, it's coming up on, I guess it'll be 21 officially um, this month, actually. Do you find it amazing that the time has gone by the way it has? Because it doesn't seem that long ago when... I walked into Marty Forbes' office and said, we need an afternoon show on this radio station and we need an evening show. And I mentioned two names. Yours is one. The other was Bob Stoffer. And I had to do the old sales job. And we brought you guys in and you just knocked it out of the ballpark. It was a grand slam, both cases, right from day one. But you've been doing other stuff before then. Let's go back to John Short, who we, we both idolized and listened to a long time ago. That's kind of where you got rolling, right? Well, you know what? Um... I'm a, I'm a big believer in, uh, um, you know, you, you need to be in the right situation. Everybody needs a little bit of luck and, and you need somebody who, who gives you an opportunity. And for me, that was John Short, right? Like I grew up, I listened to John and I was in Nate. I was taking radio and television and I was in my third semester and uh, John needed an on-site engineer. And I like to bug John, uh, you know, we're good friends that like John, John could barely turn on a computer. So he wasn't yeah. going to be the tech guy, right? And, and honestly, like that's the greatest break I ever got because I got to be his on-site engineer back at Northlands Park and started in January while I was in school of 2001. And um, Rob Kerr was his regular guy and he wanted to start going to games. So they needed someone. And I was only supposed to work for the uh, Oiler home games. Pretty simple, you know, I was in school, it was gonna be from January till uh, the, the end of uh, the season. But then Rob actually got really sick for a month. So I had to work every night, which was fine. You know, school was good for me, but I got to do John's show every night. And that allowed him to see what I was about and, and um, you know, create an opportunity. I was supposed to do my practicum at Chad. And then, uh, you know, he was like, well, why don't you do it with me? And I was like, well, I didn't even think that was an option. So then I switched and I went to him and I did that. And I started covering the, the Eskimos uh, or Elks, I guess it was the S then, Elks now. Um, and then we did play by play on any sport, anytime.com, uh, doing uh, junior football and, and junior a hockey and ACAC sports. And, you know, that was a lot of fun. I love doing play by play, I, you know, did some national championships with the, uh, the Huskies and stuff. And, um, and then it just like, we, we were working at the time with John, we started out at oldies 1260. And then we went to the, uh, the Christian station for a while, which was, which was an eye opening one for sure for, uh, sports and, and, uh, we had a sports show and then we convinced them to get an evening show show which was great 
And so basically I was lucky. I didn't have to go to a small market. I was kind of on a small market station, you know, the, uh, the Christian station in a major market in Edmonton where I got to cover the pro teams. And so a little bit of luck for sure that you didn't have to leave You know, I think I've got some talent. I, I think my biggest strength is my work ethic. Um, I'm not afraid to put in hours. And then, you know, the other break really for me was outside of doing radio is, um, you know, I, I kind of started being a little bit of a business person and didn't really know that that was even an option going in. And so I owned my own show, which was kind of an eye-opening experience. And then uh, Clark Murray, another person that, that, that I met who, who asked me to, to come and write for, for Oilers Nation at the time, back in 2007. And um, at that point, I'd owned my show. And so I was a little bit of an entrepreneur. I said, well, can I buy into the company with him? And uh, him and Jay Downton said, sure. And so that... Uh, that turned out to be a, you know, another really good thing. Um, you know, I was writing and I, sh- I guess I forgot Lee Nohos from sports scene, which was a small little, you know, that allowed me to get my start in writing way back when too. So, you know, there's lots of people that give you opportunity and then it's up to you to take advantage of that opportunity. And, um, you know, I had people like yourself and Carl Stark and Marty Forbes, um, cause I was working with John in a group and I had my show at 11 PM till one. And frankly, I just wasn't making any money. At right. the end of the day, I was like, it's got to be sink or swim. So I just said, can I start my own um, show? And I talked to John and he was fine with it. And I went into Marty and Carl's office and I said, hey, guys, I, I don't really have a company, but I'll figure it out. And I was doing some sales and I just started there. And it's, you know, it's been a great partnership from from Standard and now it's with Bell and TSN. And it's, you know, it's kind of amazing that I've been in the drive show since 2008. So it's uh, uh, in the afternoon and it's, you know, it's been a lot of fun and I'm learning a lot of different things. And, um, you know, it's allowed me to, to meet a lot of different people in Edmonton. And I really think my childhood going, I lived in New Sarepta for a bit. I went grade one to two in New Sarepta. We moved to Leduc. My wife, my mom was a uh, a vice principal. So she wanted to try that for a bit. We lived in Leduc. I went to school there for one year. Then I bust to Beaumont for French immersion. So I was kind of used to moving around and meeting a lot of different people. And I really think that that actually helped me in my business sense where I'm not afraid to, to just call up people and have to go into new situations. I really think my childhood helped that. And with the way things are going digitally, it, it's it, it, those who find a way to reinvent themselves a little bit in this business, and you've done it and you continue to do it, it just means that uh, it lengthens your career, but it's the it's all about challenges and having some fun while doing it. Don't you find that? Oh yeah, like it's you know partnering up with Frank Saravalli on on the daily face off on the DFO Rundown podcast has has opened up other doors uh, for me as well. It's a lot of fun. Like you know, I, I'm a big sports fan, not just covering one team. Like I I don't know if I would ever really be like there are certain jobs I don't think I would be great as a beat reporter because I I like talking about more than just one team, right? Or writing about it. I think it's really hard to be a beat reporter and only focus on one thing. For me personally, I respect those who do it because I think it's a really tough job. And, um, you know, for me in radio, I was lucky. I would talk football, but then I would talk hockey. And I got to, I did lacrosse play-by-play for the rush for 10 years in Edmonton. And that was an absolute treat. I never knew anything about lacrosse. I just learned it. And, um, you know, I did uh, junior football and AJHL. And, you know, so that's allowed me to do a lot of different things. My curiosity, I'm not good at just doing one thing. So, you know, doing DFO, now I do more league-wide stuff, which forces me to kind of change my focus a little bit. And I've liked it. So, yeah, I'm I'm one who likes to, to try different different things. You don't always succeed at them, but uh, it's nice to try new different ones. Hey, Brent, I got to jump in here. I find myself smiling. Gregor mentioned one of the things he mentioned was, well, I kind of got lucky. Um, I find Gregor gets lucky a lot because there's a reason. Yeah. 
He works. Um, he hustles. The first time I remember Gregor, in fact, he was hustling. It was outside at Commonwealth Stadium, and he had an armful of his gear with him. He was in game night clothing, and he'd obviously forgotten something or whatever. He went sprinting through the parking lot at Commonwealth Stadium with all his gear on. And I thought, man, if there's a media track meet, that guy's going to win. Um, that has nothing to do with what's happened here, but I've always remembered that. I also remember with the guys at Oilers Nation, when they brought me on after the sun let me go, they said, we want to get legit. Will you join us? I joined them. A little while later, they said to me, what would you think about bringing Gregor in? What do you think about him? And I I immediately thought, can he write? Um, I've met a lot of radio guys. Hey, and I'm the flip side. I can write. Can I radio? Some people would say yes. Some people would say no. No, You're doing okay. Um, But I've never read a radio, a guy who's, who's, cut his teeth in radio that writes better than Gregor. And I'm not trying to embarrass him here and there's no punchline coming. So you work at it. You're in the, you get a little bit of luck and you have some ability. I think you get what we have here. And that's a career, as you said, that's going on 21, 22 years now, Jason. And you're, you're, you, you know, you've been part of nation network as a writer you're involved in the business side you got the dfo stuff going uh the show's been terrific for a long time i was lucky enough to be a part of that for i want to say eight years or nine years um funny what happens funny how some people get lucky a lot isn't it huh (laughs) you like the writing thing because you're great at it you know what I, i i do like writing for sure um I still think like for me, I'm, I'm a better writer when it comes to like emotional topics, right? Like, yeah. like I read, like I read Robin and, and other guys, like they're opening lines and stuff when it comes to an article. And I'm just like, yeah, I don't have that now where I think I'm a really good writer is when it comes to emotional pieces. Like when I, when I get a really dig into a human, um, that that's where I find I'm, I'm better as a writer. Um, yeah. I, I was lucky enough. I was, I was raised by my late father and my mom to, you know, kind of be in touch with your emotions. So uh, I'm a pretty emotional guy that way. Can be good or bad. Sometimes I can go off the deep end a little bit and I can be a little short tempered, I guess my wife would say. That's but, okay. Though. Um, um, I really like, you know, like those, like when I look back on all the articles I've written over the years, like I love digging up stats. I think I'm really good. Like, I mean, I, I like to do my game day notes at orders. And I like to find up stats that maybe people aren't talking about, but um, like, I'm not, I couldn't be a guy like the deadline guys. Like it's another skill set where I'm like, God, I would suck at that one. So, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I think that's a tough one where, where, where I like, like the pieces I've, I've written like long pieces on, you know, Jason Strudwick and his wife Shona about their whole building their family. And, you know, I really dug into that one. And, you know, Kyle Brodziak's re- retirement one where I interviewed a lot of people over his careers and, and different stories like that. Like, those are the ones I really like doing. And I, I'd like to do more of it. You can't really do that in COVID. It's hard to, to get a personal touch. But those are the ones that I that I like the most, to be honest. And um, I did that a little bit on radio with the with the uh, Elks when I first started on my gridiron show where I would just bring the players on. And we, just, we didn't talk football. We just talked about their life. And I find that that's a way that fans get more of a connection to players is when they know something about them. And, and I think a lot of sports teams kind of forget that and fans, they, if they know that, you know, certain player has like Albert Reese is the story. I always remember he was a huge defensive lineman, like two ninety, rip six, five, one of the biggest people I've ever met. 
And, and he comes on and he tells us a story about his family and how they ran a funeral home. That was their family gig. Like, you know, when he's 16, 17, he's driving a hearse around and he, you know, he's picking up dead bodies. And, uh, you know, the one time he pulls one out and rigor mortis hadn't really set in, all of a sudden the body starts moving and Albert Reese is this big guy and he's like, I'm screaming. <laughs> it's just like those stories that are pretty funny that I'll never forget. And I like, I do really like the human side and I'd like to dig into more of that moving forward. Hey, I, my career started back in 83, 84, and my dad was around and I lost him to a heart attack in, in 88. And my career was just getting started. There's not a day that goes by where I don't think of my dad wishing he was around to watch how my career has advanced. You lost your dad at a pretty young age. You, you have a piece that you run every year in tribute to your dad. Fabulous. It's a great piece. And it, it just, it rings so true with me every time I read it, but what, what do you th- what do you think your dad would think of your career now? Have you ever thought of that? Oh yeah, or every day. You know, Jeez, I see. I get choked up just thinking about old pops. Um, yeah, yeah. I was in I was in school. My dad passed away in September of uh, two thousand. Just had a sudden heart attack out of nowhere. The bastard. But yeah. <laughs> and I say that with love. He was a great man. Um, so he uh, he never. And my dad was like my dad was the great dad and um, his kids. My my older brother, and my younger sister. He went to all their sporting events and he was not the overpower. He just sat back and um, in Beaumont. Anybody who who played hockey in Beaumont in the Brack uh, in that arena, there's a little perch up in the top. Kind of you think of the old Muppets, yeah. really. And so my dad and a few dad. My dad would just sit up there and watch the game, and he was never. You know, he was not the father in the car ride home that was like, ah, you're doing this. He was like, hey, did you have fun? And, uh, you know, the odd time I'd ask him his opinion on the game and then he knew everything and then he would share it. But other than that, he never said anything other than just, you know, enjoyment. He was like, God, I love coming to your guys' games and it was fun. So um, he would have been... I, I think it would be, you know, he, he would have loved being able to listen to the radio, to have his son on the radio. Um, yeah. Just just because, and there's times for sure, like, you know, true story, my, uh, so I'm on the air with John Short and I do my first show. And then um, there was one night where like, you know, the first week, like John's not having me on the radio, nor should he, like I didn't have much experience and two guests didn't show up. And so John just says, hey, turn your mic on. And he started asking me some questions and I was a sports nerd from a long time ago. So I, I knew what I was talking about. At least I thought I did. And John brought me on and for like, you know, I was like an interview guest back and forth. And after the show, John's like, wow, that was really good. We'll do that every show now. And I was just like, wow. And I remember driving home, you know, across the the Capilano Bridge, which is now Wayne Gretzky Drive. And I literally had to pull over on 106th that because I was crying so hard because I was just like, man, dad would have really liked that. And even this many years, 20 years later, it still kind of chokes me up because if there is one thing, and I know that he would just say all the polite stuff and he'd be like, hey, son, you're doing awesome. But the fact you never get to hear that sucks. And so, um, you know, my mom does it and my brother and, and my family, which is great, but there's just something different that's missing there. And so um, it's still one where uh, um, like there's years I've written that article and, you know, like I had my friends, I'd send it to my friends privately for many years. And then Clark was the one who said, Hey, you should post that on Oilers nation. I was like, man, I don't know about that. Like people don't want to read about, you know, me talking about my dad and, uh, it's at, and every year I was like, I don't think I should write that again. But I always get a few emails from some people about, you know, my mom says, it's not about you. You got to write that for other people because somebody might've just lost their father or, you know, they're struggling. And, and the best emails I've gotten from that are from people who are like, you know what, man, like this one guy said he was, he read it in a, in a hotel room, him and his wife were contemplating getting a divorce. And he was like, 
what are we doing? And you talked about how important it is for your kids. And you know what? He emailed me five years later and said, me and my wife are still happy. And then, man, that email changed my life. And you're just like, holy cow. So um, that's a that's like probably one of the nicest things someone can say. So I always try to go out of my way when I see an article that someone writes that I really like. I always just send them a note and say, hey, that was really good. Or that, that hit me this way. Because when someone does that to me, it's a, it makes me feel like, okay, I should keep writing it. Brent, I'll, I'll second that. Jason, uh, and you know, because I, I sent you a note or two that never gets old that, that passion and that feeling that I can feel it grab you when you talk about uh, situations involving your, your dad, you know what? It's never silly. You know, this it's never silly. It's never embarrassing. I think most people out there can never get enough of what you're talking about when you write those stories. Yeah. Inspiration and, and trying to pump other people up. Uh, I know every time I read it, I think of my dad and uh, I wish I had him alongside me through all of this, but in a lot of ways, I remember in 1990, the Oilers were playing at the Chicago stadium and uh, my dad was a Chicago Blackhawk fan. Oh, nice. And so I'm sitting at the stadium on my own. It's all quiet. And it wasn't quiet very often at the old stadium. And I could have felt he was sitting right next to me. Yeah. And anytime I feel that way, either it's reading your article or you get in a situation where you can feel uh, that somebody special right next to you, they are. That's how I've always felt about things. So uh, I just, I only wanted to bring it up because I I know how much he meant to you. And uh, I think that you've got to keep pumping that story out every year because it just makes everybody else feel so great uh, that you feel that way about your dad because we all feel that way about our dad. So uh, thank you for that. Uh, no, I appreciate the kind words, guys. Thanks. Thanks for your time today. This is long overdue. Uh, we've talked about getting you on for a while. Uh, happy to do it. Uh, happy to see that things just continue to surge for you, and there's a reason for it because you work your ass off. So uh, oh. thanks for your time today, and uh, have fun on the show this afternoon, and uh, have fun this week, and we'll see where this hockey club leads us. Oh, yeah, no end of shortage, guys. Good to see you guys again. Uh, Rubes, uh, try to get your power back on, eh? Pay your bills. Yeah, I should pay that power bill pretty soon, I guess, oh, huh? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Jason. See you, huh? See you, guys. Have a good one. Well, 2021 is done, and even though many of us feel it might have been a little off year in general, it certainly wasn't that for the Edmonton metro area in terms of real estate. That actually was a very good year. Now, not, not crazy like some parts of the country, but still very encouraging. I was chatting with Brent McIntosh from the McIntosh Group at REMAX River City just the other day, obviously wishing him all the best in this upcoming year, 2022. And we started talking a little bit about the fact that now is a good time to gear up if you're thinking about looking for a new place or maybe putting your place on the market. The reason why you get going now is you'll be ready to go because the market really starts to pick up in the month of February. So rather than waste the month of January, just start getting things going in a more positive direction as you look for your next purchase or perhaps the sale of your current place. If you'd like to track them down, give them a shout at 780-464-0075 or mackajoshgroup.ca. Start the process with a complimentary evaluation of your current home. There's no obligation. There's no deadline for this offer, but just don't let the market pass you by. Be ready to go when the market starts to really pick up. 
Both buyers and sellers can contact the McIntosh Group at REMAX River City. Once again, direct. Here's the number, 780-464-0075, or you can find them at McIntoshGroup.ca. Whew, what a show today. Great having Jason Greger on. And yeah, uh, he does done. a great job in the afternoons on TSN 1260. Has done so for a very long time. One of the more respected broadcasters slash journalists that we've got going. And uh, has got a great following. And not afraid to speak his mind, which I really love. And I've always loved about Jay. I think he... Uh, he And you know what? As emotional as he was getting towards the end there where we were talking about his dad, he's an emotional guy when it comes to talking about sports. He's never been afraid to say how he feels. And that's uh, that's so important. Well, the thing that strikes me, uh, Bren, and, and uh, you know, you were there from the start. Um, you know, I came in when the newspaper days ended. And, you know, Jason was good enough after, you know, you talked about the other guy you brought in, uh, you know, Stoff. We know what he's doing now, and he's doing a great job at that o- over at Shed. Um and I thought, geez, when Bob goes, well, there goes my my modest media, uh, radio c- career because uh, Bob had me on for whatever it was, about a year before he went over. Jason came in and I thought, well, you know how it works, right? I'm not one of his guys. Yeah. So it was fun while it lasted. Oh, can I keep you on? And I, I didn't really know J- Jason at all. I knew his work. Um, like I say, eight or nine years later, that was a nice run. Um he mentions luck, and again, he's not lucky. He's he, he's good. He works at it, and that's the one thing I saw over there is he's prepared, never phones it in, and he does all the things that they tell you back in school. If you do it, you'll be successful. A lot of us go yes, and we nod, and then we don't do all those things. Um, he works today like it's his second day on the job, not like he's an established guy with a great show. Uh, he hasn't. He's never gotten – uh, lazy about it and uh, taking anything for granted. And, and that's why he's where he's at today. So good for him. Well, a lot of people have often told me it's about being in the right place at the right time. And I go, yeah, there's a lot to that. A lot yeah. of people have always said, you know, it's not what you know, it's who you know. And I totally yeah. agree with that. You, mm-hmm. Hey, listen, the vibes you put out there, and this goes to anybody at any job, if you're putting out good, positive vibes, I tend to believe strongly that that will come back to you. So uh, Jason yes. is just another walking exhibit of that. Uh, a lot of guys that I know are walking exhibits of that. And uh, anyway, he's. Uh, it was great to have him on. We've been yeah. trying now for a couple of months and haven't, you know, just haven't been able to sync up. And then, of course, then your power goes out right in the <laughs> middle of it, and I'm going, oh no, not today. But hey, no, we that, got the old, we got the cell phone. That's what happens. Uh, we talked a little bit about hockey, that kind of stuff. I know you're not a big NFL fan, but crazy, crazy wild card, super wild card weekend. And uh, tonight we've got the Rams and the Cardinals. The winner goes on. The winner gets the Tampa Bay Bucks. I don't know if that's a winner or not, but that's uh, how it will stack up. Kansas City beating Pittsburgh. Big Ben is done his career. Man, oh man, the 39-year-old still, you know, it doesn't throw a really tight spiral anymore, but was able to get Pittsburgh into the playoffs, uh, even though it was kind of crazy the previous weekend. San Francisco knockoff Dallas, and that one went right down to the wire. A very strange call by the Cowboys. Uh, Dak Prescott decided to do a quarterback keeper with like around eight seconds to go. They ran out of time. when uh-huh. they, they They took away an opportunity for a Hail Mary opportunity, but... 
hey, that's the way it goes. Dallas seemed to be, at least over the last 20 years, just seemed to be a team designed to break your heart, and they do it frequently. Good friend of ours, Paul Almeida, has been a Cincinnati Bengals fan for as long as I know. They oh finally my. won a playoff game for the first time in 31 years. Paul that's actually good. smiled. He actually smiled. That's yeah, you can't you can't call Paul a front runner on that one. No, you cannot. And another a couple of guys that I know are uh, Buffalo Bills fans, and they finally got their big win too this weekend. So there are some guys that are really really happy who have not been very happy for a very very long time watching the NFL. Hey, and uh, uh, is there anything we've missed today? Because I know we talked about a lot of stuff. Anything you want to bring up? I don't know. I'm trying to think. Well, you know, we, we went through a few things with, with Gregor. Um, you know, I'm waiting to see further. I mean, we, we touched on this. Um, and you and I had a discussion this morning, Bryn. I'm starting to wonder if we're going to see uh, more cracks in, I guess, that Oilers foundation. You touched on it with, uh, you know. Now you're talking building home. foundation, not the community foundation. Yeah. Okay. Just for clarification here. Holland's uh, media availability, how it ended. You know, I don't expect uh, Connor McDavid to be happy in a situation like that. Sometimes you can't, you know, you can put too much weight in a question, uh, a how does it feel question right after it's felt really bad and it sucks because you lost again. So the reaction you get can be pretty steely eyed and, and cold, but you know, at some point this team has to swing out of this nosedive. I believe that they will, but right now, whether it's, uh, aggravation over the over the uh, slump they're in, uh, whether there's some consternation over Evander Kane, should we or shouldn't we, that, those kind of things. I'm sure that gets bounced around in the dressing room. Um, it's getting pretty edgy down there. N- not necessarily something that a few wins can't at least smooth over for the time being, but I think, uh, uh, as, as you said, you know, you, we're going to find out a little something uh, in this next game against Florida, a really good team. Um, but man, there's got to be a, there's got to be a turn in the road somewhere because the one they're on right now is to nowhere. Well, they have the Florida game on Thursday, unless it gets postponed. I don't see that being an issue. I think that, uh, well, we'll see. You never know, but I do know they play the Calgary flames in Edmonton on the Saturday night. So if they yeah. don't have any emotion for Thursday, they better damn well have it on Saturday night. Better have it for both nights, my friend. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I think that Florida game for me, it's a monstrous game. I just—they don't have to win it. You better freaking show up. <laughs> you would better be there for that game. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know. Hey, listen, you can check us out on Twitter. The handle's really simple at Outsiders2020. Make sure you tell your friends to subscribe to our RSS feed. That way, when a new podcast drops on any of your favorite ear candy sites like Apple, Google, Spotify pocket cast, etc. You get it. Just automatically downloads onto your mobile device or whatever. And by the way, I just noticed last week in December, it's the first time ever that Apple became the number two distributor of podcasts. Spotify went by them in the month really? of December. I'm guessing the way these companies are dumping billions of dollars into podcasts, I expect that you're going to see a lot more of that over the next little while. Anyway, we're also on YouTube and looking to... Uh, you. I don't know if this is a real positive we should be promoting or not, but 
we're planning on coming to you on YouTube and you'll actually be able to see us do this show. <laughs> well, I don't, I don't know if to, if today's show is a great primer for that, but well, we can, <laughs> we don't have a lot of technical problems. I, I, the fact, Hey, listen, we, we have this all across Canada. I was noticing Toronto is just getting crushed today with a blizzard. The uh, Gardner yeah. Expressway and the Don Valley Parkway, they've all been shut down because they're getting a ton of snow in Toronto. Might have to send the military in. That's the old joke. But here in Western Canada, I don't know what's going on in British Columbia, but Alberta's expecting a big winter storm. And leading the attack, we've had a bit of an ice storm, which is why I think you lost your power today. But thank you for uh, quickly getting to your phone and uh, getting back to us. We appreciate that. So, And so while I say that I record at the Road 55 studio in beautiful downtown icy Edmonton, Robin, generally, well, you're still in your luxurious studio in southwest Edmonton. You're with Cameron Heights, right? You, yes. You've just delivered it a little differently today. So uh, nice, nice pickup. Yeah. You called an audible. It worked. <laughs> anyway, thanks, everybody. This has been a blast. Hey, we'll talk to you next week. You sure will, Tom. Bye-bye, boys. Have fun storming the castle. Road 55.